Case file number 7.4. The JSTOR Underground, Sci-Hub. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Agent Crenshaw. Still working on this Gibson thing. No, Chief. You, you gotta give me more time. Have you even listened to the recordings? It's like an encyclopedia of this hacker stuff. One of them just keeps going on and on about everything that ever went wrong on the internet. No. He, nobody knows this kind of crap. He's obviously up to no good. Yeah, the one called Hackalope. No. How is it not illegal? The information is dangerous. Oh, and, and the other one. The other one. Y- Ymir. No, he's always going on about everything the CIA and FBI did wrong. All the wiretap stuff, all the crazy projects. How does he know? We already know he's infiltrated NASA, and I am this close to catching him skipping leg day. Now just ask yourself, Chief, what would J. Edgar Hoover do? Come, Chief, all I need is more time. Sooner or later they're going to slip up and I will catch them. Hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. Vast. We're going to be uh, talking about uh, pirating today. Um, though I would also say that term pirating is going to be kind of loose in regards to what we're talking about now. Oh, uh, this is this is like the most boring form of piracy. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> or the the least glamorous form of piracy. Yeah, it, it does it does involve people with beards and you know loop earrings and stuff like that, but no cannons and uh, no scurvy. So I mean. You take the good with the bad. The no yeah. scurvy thing sounds like a good play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, side side note too. I uh, recently found out. So, did you know the the cost of cable per month um, is now eighty three dollars a month, give or take, average. Uh, having all the streaming services, like the big name ones, is ninety dollars a month. So we're already I, at that point. <laughs> I didn't know that. I've got to say that I have recently revised my my uh, subscription list not too long ago based on uh, actual use, let's say. Yeah, yeah, I need to sit down and do that since I have like some credit cards expire and stuff like that. Thankfully, it kind of solved itself for me. <laughs> yes. um, but I need to go back and now look at things because like the series on HBO I was watching is over. So I may as well just cancel that until something new comes out. And HBO Max is going to go freaking off the walls crazy anyways. All that aside, <laughs> today's actual topic is uh, we're going to be talking about Sci-Hub which I was just recently made aware of um, since I'm working on my doctorate. So I'm kind of pointing me to this. And Sci-Hub is a, um, what's referred to as a shadow library, which I had to look up because I wasn't exactly sure what that was other than like, you know, maybe something, something Warhammer related. But according to Wikipedia, um, a shadow library just refers to online databases of readily available content that's normally obscured through paywalls and other means. That's a good term to have handy. I, I mm-hmm. don't think I had a word for that. Yeah. And SciHub itself was founded in 2011 by uh, Alexandra Elbakian. She was born in Kazakhstan. And due to the high cost of research papers, when she was working on her degree, uh, that kind of led her down this road to doing this. And in 2019, the site was handling 400,000 requests per day. Uh, And it's estimated to contain 95% of all scholarly publications with DOI numbers tagged to them. DOI being the digital object identifier for research papers. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about it. I used a, 
a fair few of of uh, academic papers in various research things, and mm-hmm. I've had to use alternate means to get a hold of them yeah. from people I know that have JSTOR access through mm-hmm. currently attending. Me being the person that got here without a relationship with a college kind of put me <laughs> uh, yeah. at a loss on that one. So I guess I'm kind of kicking myself that I never that I never hit any of this, but. Like every time I see a DOI number, an abstract is like, I'll read the abstract. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what I, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's very annoying to find like an abstract and you're like, I need this. Where does it exist? And Or even worse is the, I might need this. This seems like mm-hmm. it might have something useful or interesting in it. Yeah. The ones that are really important are much more worth the time and effort to go through those alternate means. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes the abstract is tantalizing and you're like, this could be the thing that I need when you actually read the paper. You're like, this was not, you know, this might have been interesting, but it was not what I actually wanted. But Or I was searching for one thing that was just part of what that research paper was. And I'm mm-hmm. and I would like to see just the half a page you had about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In July of 2022, uh, it was reported that SciHub's collection was around 88.35 million files and growing. So obviously, when we're talking about pirating of any form, uh, we're going to be talking about copyright and ethics mm-hmm. and all that jazz that goes, you know, along with it. And both SciHub and Elbakian uh, have been sued twice for copyright infringement in the United States. There's a pending lawsuit as well in India. And their lawsuits in the U.S. were in 2015 and 2017, and they lost both cases by default, which, again, I looked up because it was like... Like, what does that mean? Um, default just means basically the defendant didn't show up. up. Yep, yeah. exactly. And uh, that led to the loss of some of their internet domain names. Uh, mm. Since then, the site has cycled through different domain names, obviously, and you know just bounced around from uh, host to host. The crux of all of this entire topic and like the lawsuits and everything and the back and forth is that usually these research papers being hosted on Sci-Hub, I say usually, but I'm fairly confident it's 100% of them, uh, were all funded by taxpayers through government grants. Mm-hmm. On top of this, the authors for these papers don't receive any royalties paid to them. So this isn't a question of like like stealing music and like, oh, like, you know, the artist isn't going to see anything. Well, it's a lot like stealing music because it's the record companies that get paid, not the artists. Oh, yeah, and true, a lot yeah, of the deals that, yep. are, that are the way that they're currently set up, although mm-hmm. the artists do get paid you know, in the middle there, but now especially, but generally over time, mm-hmm. the record companies have owned the copyrights. And this is the same thing where mm-hmm. the people who are paying are the people that are distributing it, not the people who produced it, and not the people who are paid for it. Exactly. And this is this has caused the science and academic communities to praise Sihab for his work, you know, <laughs> obviously. And publishers have spoken to the copyright violations um, and cited that it's reducing the revenue of the publishers uh, and also have tried to vaguely link Sihub to network security exploits against the university networks. Although when actually questioned, they've never provided any proof that this has ever happened once. Do you know what FUD stands for, FUD? No. It's called Fear, Uncertainty, and Doubt. Oh, okay. It is, when it really was in the zeitgeist, was in the whole open source versus um, commercial software thing. It's like, oh, you don't know. It could be a thing. And and it was all Mm -hmm. about sowing uncertainty and that fear rather Mm. than having actual accusations of real problems. Right, yeah. 
and like so substantiation isn't important and the relative sins of the accuser are not important in vague terms i feel like that kind of alludes to um like tucker carlson and his ilk of i'm just asking questions yes it's not dissimilar from that it turns yeah. out that human behavior is sometimes easily reduced mm-hmm. and uh certain tactics work in lots of fields yes yes to all of these uh allegations and everything albankian has responded by questioning the morality of the publisher's business model and the legality of their method uh, she cites Article 27 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that we all have the right to science and culture as a reason why her website is completely legal. You know, it's just providing information that should be available free to the public anyways. was And maybe you'll get to this, but I thought that relatively recently, sometime in the last 10-ish years, that it was added to the U.S. National Science Foundation funding and stuff that all of the public research papers had to be available to the public. I don't know. I do not uh, find that. Let me see if I can find it while while while, while you're. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I'd be I'd be interested. Um, and since uh, 2021, new content uploads have been frozen on the website. Uh, right now, it's going through an ongoing uh, court case in India, and the .se domain name had been taken down. So now SciHub is reached by its .ru domain name, and. In November of 2022, a group of anonymous archivists launched a website called uh, Anna's Archive. It's a free nonprofit shadow library meta search engine, and it provides data access to open library materials. Um, and it also acts as a backup to SciHub, Library Genesis, and Z Library. Z Library itself being like another backup to SciHub. Okay. And the, the main thing SciHub really does is something like you alluded to. And we've all done uh, since, you know, accounts were a thing is password sharing. Um, mm-hmm. This got its start basically just by, you know, people just uploading their username and passwords and being like, eh, go at it, have fun. You know, a lot of these portals just require that basic authentication and then start pulling data from them. Isn't this what Aaron Schwartz, the yep. Reddit guy? Okay, no, start, it's, yep, yep. you're going to get there. Okay. Yep, yep. Yeah, exactly. But, but I did find the NSF, uh, in NSF, they have a public access initiative that where they strive to make outputs of uh, scientific research funded by the National Science Foundation publicly available to the greatest extent with the fewest constraint possible con- and consistent with the law. Um, hmm, okay. In my cursory research, I didn't find when they started, but it looks like it's still, in re- so it's uh, actually response to a 2013 memo called the Holdren Memo. Hmm, okay. Interesting. So the Public Access Initiative from the, hmm. US, the United States National Science Foundation hmm. is about 10 years old at this point and doesn't okay. cover all research, but mm-hmm. the publications still don't want that to be the case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and using like these passwords and like you said, like using friends, that, that's how I'll uh, back in started when she was going for her degree was, yeah, like just pinging uh, people these paywalls were like a bane of existence to Kazakhstan universities because you can imagine, you know, well, you, some universities have a good deal of money. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking Kazakhstan and these other uh, groups like, you know, right around the fall of the Soviet Union. Who knows what other like laws are in place or anything, but trying to get to these was all but impossible given, you know, like yeah, a whole, yeah. whole host of uh, complications. Well, it's also from an education and sharing standpoint, it's just another one of those privileged situations mm-hmm. where yeah. the quality of your education, the quality of your research is in part the school you're in, but also the quality of your social network. 
Yeah, exactly. And do you do you remember the meme uh, I can has cheeseburger? Yes. So there were there was a Twitter handle called uh, I can has PDF <laughs> that uh, a lot of um, university students in Kazakhstan and other organizations would hit up um, and just provide their email and the name of the paper they were looking for and hope that someone would reply back and that. <laughs> It reminds me of I used to be on IRC uh, chat channels that did a lot of like uh, book sharing and stuff like that um, mm -hmm. for like textbooks and the same thing. You'd be like, hey, my textbook is this ISBN number. This does anyone have a copy? Does anyone like know where to grab this? Like, please reply. And then you just kind of sit there and hope. When you were talking a little bit earlier, I was like, this sounds exactly like the stuff that you've talked about previously about how you went trolling the internet and and uh doing directory traversal madness mm -hmm. to get the materials you needed to study for your for, for your first degree or two yeah 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 exactly and while a lot of the downloads sci-hub come from the united states there's a huge amount coming from other poorer nations like tunisia india and many others and within the u.s they've you know done some data plotting and it seems like most of the downloads cluster around major academic areas suggesting that while these students and researchers have access to online journals, uh, they're still using this website uh, to pull a lot of this. And I'll like interject here with my own experience and say there's a big reason for that. And that's because a lot of those online journal portals that your college gives you access to fucking suck. Yeah, Trying to use the search engines are horrible to find anything. Mm -hmm. Um, trying to, you know, string together any sort of like, you know, search criteria just doesn't return anything uh, half the time. I think I have access to like seven different online databases that all contain like different papers, have different like, you know, methods of trying to search through them and everything. So if I can just go to one website and just type in a DOI and be like, this is the paper that I found, like doing a cursory Google search. Let me like skim through it and see if it meets what I need. Why, why would I not? And I totally get that. I know that when the last time I passed this recent antivirus stuff, I'm confident there's been a ton of work done on this mm -hmm. on the academic level of like the progression of, of virus innovation techniques and stuff like that, which mm -hmm. I was really interested in and I wanted to do a lot of reading about. But frankly, it was very hard information to find. And yeah. even the the dozen or so papers I found, and I'm sure there's got to be mo tons more about, you know, even specific things, let alone kind of the more general progression stuff. Mm -hmm. I gave it to my friend who, who I was like, I need, I need these for this, for this episode. Yeah. I didn't realize that I was asking her to basically look through multiple search engines and yeah. check things out and stuff like that. I was like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you think every university would have basically their own version of Sci-Hub, which would go out and just pull in stuff. But no, that's not the case. Well, also, like, if you're going to be spending the amount of money that these journals and stuff are looking for, I expect something worthy of that. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had access to LexisNexis, but LexisNexis, mm -hmm. in addition to having all the stuff indexed, they have gone through the trouble of doing a bunch of tagging of information. And that is yes. part of the power of LexisNexis is not just they have the data, but they have it curated and organized. Mm-hmm. You're basically asking me to pay those kind of money, but you're not giving me the same power. Yeah, exactly. And while publishers do legally own the copyright, you know, like we've said, they didn't create any of this content. And a lot of this 
entire um, atmosphere only exists because of the pseudo prestige given to authors from these academic journals. Um, the authors give up all of their rights to the research that they did in order to get some prestige to help further their careers um, and you know move forward within yeah. academia. And the article that I was reading at Vox does cite that these publishers do add value. You know, they help to facilitate peer review of some of these studies uh, to ensure published research meets rigorous standards. Um, that's very true. But in some cases, you know, those, those standards are questionable. Tell me if you're going to get into this, but mm -hmm. I went through a couple of talks, one in particular I'm thinking of, that was talking about how there are basically bogus research journals. Yep. They generate citations and don't further the discourse at all. And some of them even sponsor like conferences where the whole deal is just charging people to go to the conference and, you know, saying that you presented it at X conference, even though it's like 10 papers that have nothing to do with one another. Nobody's listening to what anybody else is saying. It's just resume padding, like the whole <laughs> citation system. Like you said, there's real value to be added there. Mm -hmm. And that real value is added there, but the system has, I, as I understand it, it's, there's been some reaction to it now, but at least for several years, mm -hmm. there was no barrier to entry on the journal side and all of the perceived imprimatur wasn't there for a ton of, uh, frankly, bullshit that was coming out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, if you're in the know, there are some journals that like, you know, have a ton of prestige and will not allow certain bullshit to come their way. But when they're all kind of named the same and, yeah. you know, you're an outsider looking in and you're like, oh, this one's called the Medical Journal of Academia. And this one's called the Academic Journal of Medicine. Medicine, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, which one's the good one? Like, <laughs> yeah, Um, I feel like I'm going a little far afield, but there was, I don't remember the name of it, but there was a, a physicist wonderkin who had essentially falsified all his research and nobody caught him for, for more than a decade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of interesting stuff that I've seen from, from kind of a data science and epidemiological point of view is the amount of research that's done that's non-replicable that still makes it into all of these journals. In fact, they have a publication bias for novelty. And it's like, yeah. If I'm seeing this here and it's supposed to be, oh, this is reasonably reliable, if not fact, um, mm -hmm. a data, data points, but you're biasing towards this is the weird result I have. Well, for every 10 studies with a 10% chance of a weird result, you're going to get one. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I do bodybuilding for fun. There's a lot yeah. of um, a lot of research out there for like, you know, different methods. Mm hmm you know, using electrical data, like stimulus of muscles and stuff like that. One guy that I love to watch on YouTube um, is Mike Isretel, um, mm -hmm. you know, and he has a doctorate in, I'm exactly sure, but basically like, you know, like big bodybuilding dude, but like very, very smart and does like, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. physiology or stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and he'll often cite like, oh, like this study that shows this thing. And like, you know, a lot of like, quote unquote, science-based uh, bodybuilding researchers will like, cite the study. And he's like, if you look into the study, uh, their pool was five people, <laughs> um, all like like aged like 50 to like 52 um, and all in this one region. And it's like, of course they got the data. They like, you know, they're trying yeah. to like show like this is worthless. It's junk, but it was published in like, you know, a scholarly journal and yeah. like you made it through peer review and everything like that. That's one of the, one of the issues. Another one is that the cost has grown um, just completely out of control for this stuff. Yeah. 
Harvard uh, had to, in 2012, shell out $3.5 million a year for access to scholarly journals, with the prices increasing by like 145% over six years uh, for some of the providers. Well, I mean, Harvard has God's checkbook. Yes. But they're the ones with God's checkbook. Nobody else has God's checkbook the same way that, that Harvard does, not even the rest of the Ivy League. And then you get to that university in Kazakhstan. They don't mm-hmm. have that three and a half million dollars. Exactly. And the, the bitter irony, too, is that a lot of this research Harvard was paying to access was research done at Harvard by their staff. <laughs> so they were doing all this research, getting all of these grants from the government to pay for this research. Um, you know, top of like $140 billion in taxpayer money each year for this research, and then had to turn around and shell out $3.5 million to get the research back. Information wants to be free, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was a very much, very much a hacker ethos. The, the mm. you know, information wants to be free. And you can get the, hey, people should be paid for their work side of things. And that if you have no copyright protections at all, I can see how that how that would cause a a, a, a significant tragedy of commons type problem. Mm-hmm. But then you see shit like this and it's like, no, really, I'm not sure which problem set I really want to have. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I won't get into it as much, but the uh, recent train incident in Ohio yeah. um, was due to using brakes that have existed since the Cold War. Mm-hmm. We have better brakes they are a requirement for specific trains that are considered quote unquote like explosive. Um, This train was not considered that. And the requirements for a train meeting, you know, that, that requirement are so fine tuned and it's, you know, it's all to eke out the the cost of putting air brakes on all the trains would have cost Norfolk's Southern like 0.5% of their profits for a month. And, you know, they, caused this entire incident yeah well it's they, they weren't risking their money in that yeah, case yeah. or at yeah, least exactly. they had some level of assumption like it and this is this is one of those privatizing of, of profits and 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 socializing of losses situations. yes yes yeah yeah exactly much like silicon valley bank and like all the banks stuff so on. we'll see how that goes mm-hmm. the silicon valley bank and we're we're Several months ahead on our queue. So this may have been figured out by the time this gets published. <laughs> yeah. But essentially they were having more of a liquidity problem than they were mm-hmm. having an asset problem. Not to defend them because there's a good reason to say that they didn't manage their, their situation very well. But mm-hmm. it's important to differentiate the kinds of problems. The thing is that there's a reasonable expectation that the money is there. Yes. Uh, this would be a very different thing. And then if, well, I mean, it wouldn't be, but if you guaranteed something like a FTX, mm-hmm. there were situations, uh, especially with UBS in the financial crisis where the money wasn't there. Yeah, And I know we're going way off topic here. <laughs> some of their best interventions of the US central banks have been facilitating these kind of unwinds rather than necessarily, rather than providing direct funding mm-hmm. the funding from for, for silicon valley bank is supposed to be coming from an industry insurance type fund yeah yeah i'm just like hey maybe that's not the best example <laughs> yeah it, it springs to mind also when i start talking about social media um based on the chaos uh machine mm-hmm. book that i'm reading I, i'll yeah. reference silicon valley bank back again because 
there's been some interesting stories of what they were funding. But anyways, yeah. Um, so like public publishers for all of these research papers have cited, you know, like, well, our costs are going up. Um, we need to charge more because it's harder and, you know, becoming more complex to review these papers nowadays. And while that might be the case, you know, the, the person of the Vox article cited the fact that these publishers have uh, 40% margins for profit. You, you don't have that margin of profit if you're just, you're struggling to scrape by and like, hey man, yeah. like we, we just, we had to up the cost a little bit, like, sorry. They're charging what the market will bear. The, the, mm -hmm. the, the thing that people forget whenever they hear those arguments is that basically what it costs you to do a thing is not what dictates prices. What people yes. are willing to pay for it dictates prices. Now, if yeah. the, what people are willing to pay for it is less than what it takes to provide it, you don't get the thing. Mm -hmm. But and that's how those things interact. But it sounds like the market is such that they're that they're willing to to hoover up people's wallets rather than yes. do things that are useful. And it, it's also one of those things where you know, like that works in a kind of completely open and free market. But when you start having companies like this who price fix with each other and then have a stranglehold yeah. hold on the market to basically be like, well, where else are you going to go? Like you, yeah. you got to pay us. Yeah, we've mentioned it. I think mm -hmm. we mentioned it in the sec second IoT episode about like where markets aren't efficient, and that's yep. exactly one of the places where markets aren't efficient. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's obviously tons of support for SciHub. Uh, most of that being from students and researchers uh, who cite the website as being a major reason why they ev even be able to finish some of their degrees, uh, mm -hmm. despite having access to um, universities. Person on Twitter by the name of. Uh, Soraya Imperial uh, cited that they had only finished their master's degree due to using Sci-Hub because the amount of information in their field um, was so hidden behind so many different paywalls or individually priced where it wasn't even accessed by what the university had given them access to, that it would have cost them more than the three-year tuition to get most of the articles they used. Wow, that's not an indictment. <laughs> yeah. And a site like this too, seems you know basically impossible to take down like much akin to like pirate bay or a lot of the torrent sites and other things is you know these sites kind of operate on like a hydra like propagation i don't know about sci-hub um because i didn't look into it but some of these sites will publish their entire source code and everything so when one goes down you know like multiples will pop yeah. up and be like swept down and as you were beginning to this to to describe this i was mentally designing a something based on some of the torrent ideas to mm -hmm. maintain a similar archive. Like if nobody's doing this, we should totally do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And th this also like this, this plays into just the absurd cost of education, especially in the United States mm -hmm. um, going out of control. And like, you know, if a college is paying $3.5 million for access to research articles, they aren't eating that cost. They're passing no, they're it on to the student. To, yes. And, you know, just putting aside all the other craziness that goes on with college budgets for like sports and whatnot. But, you know, like I, I know I've cited it before and I'll keep citing it is that like, you know, books of college is such a sham. Um, mm -hmm. Photocopying now like textbooks and then putting them to binders so you can't even resell them back to the, the school, even though before it was a 50-50 chance that you might even be able to sell them back. Because I've, I've seen it both sides as a student and a professor. When I was a professor, First day of class, first thing I would do is give my students like 20 minutes to go back to the bookstore and sell back the book for the class mm -hmm. because I was required to have a book on my syllabus. Wow. On top of that, you know, when you're talking InfoSec, 
um, curriculums and everything else at college. YouTube, different websites, tutorials are out there. You can watch an entire YouTube series on how to study for your Security Plus, your CISSP, your Linux Plus, and other things, um, and pass just fine. Like you don't need to purchase a lot of these books at these colleges. I know we have it at the end of the in the season two end of the of the uh, episode, but like mm. give to the Wikimedia Foundation because mm-hmm. you can learn a shocking amount by looking at the stuff that you want to see in Wikipedia. My next episode is about viruses in the early internet era and the entire timeline of all of the major bugs. Like it wasn't just that they had articles in every single one, they had a combined timeline of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of the stuff is crazy on there. Um, yeah, so definitely donate. Yeah, and again, I couldn't find that in academic literature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, we we touched on it there towards the start, but I'll just end this episode with touching again, because I think I've, I've mentioned this during one of the episodes, is Aaron Schwartz, who committed mm-hmm. suicide um, due to all the legal issues he was facing because he did this exact same thing where he took a lot of the papers for MIT and published them to the public. Uh, they were behind paywalls and he had the attorney general just rain hellfire down on him because of this to make an example of him. And he chose suicide as his way out. I don't know that we ever heard an explanation of why they went that hard at him. Other than possibly he had, he was one of the founders of Reddit. He had some money and, Mm -hmm. and they were like, well, like we can get our money back by finding him into oblivion yeah whatever but like i don't think they ever described why they went that hard at him i can i can only imagine you know this is speculation coming from me that you know they they wanted to make an example of him they wanted something like this to not exist you know and also why they keep going after you know sci-hub and other sites like this is because you know if you can make people scared to actually host information for free and disseminate mm-hmm. it to people you know that need it and want it you know, you can keep them under your heel and make them pay whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, information should be free, yo. Um, I, I guess hack the planet. <laughs> Find out about new episodes at r slash hacking the Gibson on Reddit and support the podcast by contributing at the Wikimedia Foundation or Electronic Frontier Foundation.